What if we told you the best thing for your athlete is to paint a picture, to go for a hike, maybe to try a new coffee shop. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. This is Dan hosting this morning. I am joined by Becca Hibbert as a co-host. Good morning. And we are welcoming a special guest today, Maddie McLean of Victory Sports Counseling. Welcome, Maddie. Thanks. Hi. We are very excited to talk today. Maddie has been uh, one of our colleagues over the last two plus years as she attended our first huddle conference and being the outgoing individual that she is. She approached multiple people here from Spooner and it has forged a wonderful relationship. So we are very excited to have her on for her to share her expertise. I'm really excited to be here. So during the introduction, you're probably left going, what in the world are we gonna talk about? Good. Coffee shops, that's what we're talking about? Absolutely, yeah, and and how to paint pictures. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, maybe ice cream sandwiches. Yes, (laughs) always ice cream sandwiches. So really what we want to talk about and, and bring Maddie in is really the, the topic of managing transition times with athletes. And it's something that has grown in popularity. It's one of Maddie's fortes. And I kind of want to just first by talking about how did you get into this level of specificity within in your sports counseling of being kind of a go-to on helping athletes with transition times. Yeah, absolutely. So it's absolutely tied to my own experiences as an athlete. I played volleyball for 18 years, played, had the privilege of playing up through the division one level and absolutely loved it. I also experienced several unique transitions during my time as an athlete. I had multiple major injuries, so experienced the transitions associated with that. I also transferred colleges, so experienced transition with that and that kind of unique experience. I transferred from the division one level to the division three level because of some family stuff going on. And I had that unique experience as well of understanding what it feels like to both transfer, but also transition levels, transition styles of competition. And then I had a career ending injury. So navigating kind of the cap on my career, that major transition. So it was just something that was a special topic when I went to get trained as a sports counselor. I knew I wanted to pour into other athletes who were going through any transition, whether that's from, you know, their freshman team to their varsity team, you know, as a sophomore in in high school, or that's helping them transition from high school athletics to collegiate athletics or helping them through transfer situations or injuries, or my favorite is working with athletes who are retiring. So let's start on the adolescent athlete and how you assist with helping them navigate those transition times. You mentioned a few, you know, you're a freshman, you play on the freshman team and now you're a sophomore and you're on the varsity team and competition is better and expectations are better. What are some of the go-to strategies that you help athletes and their parents navigate during those initial, you know, kind of transition times? Yeah. So I think 
I would break that down between athletes who are in season versus athletes who are out of season. So I think athletes who are in season and making that jump, I would say the number one thing for both the athletes and their parents is patience and remembering that you're not going to figure it out all at once. It's going to be exactly what we've already said, a transition. It's going to take some time to get used to the level of competition, probably new coaches, potentially a position change, and just the overall level up in the level of competition. So it's going to take a little bit of time, especially for high school athletes. You know, I feel like the typical experience is probably the sophomore, some, you know, sometimes the junior, but for the elite athlete, sometimes the freshman or sophomore who is playing on varsity with 17 and 18 year olds, there are so many dynamics in that alone. Like even if you just put a 15, 16 year old in a room with 17 and 18 year olds, like taking sports out of it, so many differences. So, and then you're adding on the dynamic of sports and the dynamic of competition and playing time and parents and coaches, and it can get tough real fast for some of the younger high school athletes in those situations. I'm really glad that you brought up the word patience because it's something none of us have at this point because we live in a world that moves so fast and answers are you know right there whenever we want them. So how do you deal with that with athletes, right? And like we're talking about, you're talking about athletes that maybe at 14 are the highest level compared to those other 14 year olds and then they move to with 17 year olds and it's like how do you talk to a 14 year old about being patient in a world where they really don't have to be patient anymore for anything else that they're going through that's yeah a great question so i think it comes down to two things i think one is the element of grief, which might sound like that's out of left field, but it is related and I can walk through why. And then the other is just the element of expectations, which is tied into grief. But so when you have an athlete, let's say it's a sophomore who maybe played on the freshman team, maybe got some JV playing time their freshman year and really develops throughout the you know, summer between freshman and sophomore year and they show up just a different player and they make varsity. That's really common. I have a lot of athletes who go through that exact experience. So that athlete is going to have a set of expectations in their head of what they think being on varsity is going to be like. And parents are certainly going to have a set of expectations in their head of what they think their athlete on varsity is going to be like. So the issue is that typically in life, and I don't mean this from a cynical view, I just mean this from a practical view, typically in life, our reality doesn't always match directly with our expectations. So I think that is really, that I think that has to be the starting point for the athlete themselves of saying, hey, it's cool that you have these super high expectations of yourself. However, let's remember, it might take a little bit of time for you to get there if we're able to get there. So I know we're on a podcast forum, so you can't kind of see this visual, but if you think about putting you know, your hand at a certain level, like say up near your head, if you're measuring something, let's say that's the expectation. It's pretty high. And the reality is anywhere below that. So let's say you put your other hand kind of down you know, near your chest. So the gap between those two hands is what we would consider the grief. It's the gap between the expectation and the reality of the situation. So that's where grief comes into it. And it seems weird to walk a 14 year old through, you know, hey, I think you're maybe experiencing some grief over 
the situation. Maybe you're not getting the certain type of playing time or you haven't been received by your teammates in the way that you would have wanted or for parents, you know, their experience on varsity so far isn't going the way that you wanted it to go. I think we have to give room for, hey, I think there's a little bit of grief here. So I think that's great. I've never thought about thinking of grief in that term of reality versus perceived expectations. But it's important for us to think about that, not only, you know, when we're talking with athletes, but also when we're talking about that with just a regular patient. And for our, for our listeners to take some time to think about that and how they are utilizing that with their patients who aren't athletes and striving to get back on the court, the field, you know, et cetera. But I, I want to talk a little bit about so that, you know, 14, 15 year old who made that physical and performance jump from their freshman season going into their sophomore season and now they're playing varsity, there's going to be a potential community change. So how do you help the athlete manage that knowing that there's, as you've already alluded to, the difference just in their age and what they're interested in and the conversations and all of that stuff, not alone the sport. The sport obviously is going to be the one thing that unifies them. But how do you help them manage that when they're the only sophomore that's on varsity or they're only freshman that's on varsity and they don't really have a true sense of community from their age match peers? Yeah, that's a great question. I see this a lot. I see younger athletes feeling very isolated and feeling like there's a false sense of connection. I actually see that with a lot of team sport athletes as kind of an aside of you are with your teammates all day. So you assume that you are connecting in a meaningful way with them. But at the end of the day, you come home and you feel isolated and lonely because while you have been communicating with teammates all day, you haven't had any meaningful interactions. So I think going back to your question, I think for adolescents in general, but especially for athletes, whether they're injured, whether they're in season, off season, the two most stabilizing forces are routine and structure and community. So helping them establish, even in this new context with this example of maybe a sophomore on varsity, helping them establish a sense of community that is meaningful to them. Now, I do think that that can be with the older players. I've seen that. I see that in some of my athletes. I think that can be a really cool thing. However, we're dealing with teenagers, so it's also normal for there to be a divide between, you know, a senior and a sophomore, especially if playing time is on the line between them. So I think helping that athlete establish and connect with their community, and that could be you know, peers outside of their sport, their own age, it can feel a little weird for maybe some of the younger kids on varsity situations to connect with players in their peer group on freshman or JV teams, but still trying to remain rooted in their community within the sport and outside of the sport is really, really important. Is that something that presents itself, so not to transition us kind of somewhere else, but presents itself with somebody who has an injury because of like you were saying with that, you assume there's this connection and this community because you've been with this team and then you get injured. And is that part of that kind of reality or minding that gap or minding that gap between what you were saying, like between reality and expectations is that you realize that connection was only unfortunately, solely sport-based, and that's part of what our injured athletes are also dealing with? Absolutely. I think you nailed it. Injury represents one of the most isolating experiences an athlete can go through because 
every athlete goes through retirement. And I, I would say that injury and retirement are the two toughest things an athlete can go through. But there's an element where every single athlete will go through retirement, but not every single athlete will go through injury. A lot of them do, but not every athlete will go through an ACL tear. Not every athlete will have major time loss from their sport. So that can be an incredibly dysregulating and isolating experience for athletes. So again, we go back to the tenets of routine and community, and those are so crucial for an athlete from the mental, emotional, relational perspective to navigate their injury well. So since you brought up injury and Becca, I'm glad you asked that question because I was going to ask something very similarly weird. We must spend a lot of time together. So I have a question, and actually I think your husband asked this question last night during show prep for you is, in your opinion, and this is strictly your opinion, which thing do you think is harder for a a transition? A high school athlete having a career-ending injury or a professional athlete having a career-ending injury? Yeah, this is so tough. This is such a yeah tough question. So yes, that is a specific shout out to your husband. He yeah. I'm giving credit where credit is due. That no, is his awesome. question, not my question. I know. You know, he was helping me just prep for this, and he was asking me some awesome questions. So I'm appreciative of him. So the the answer I have, gosh, the answer I have for so many things in counseling is it's so person by person. So I know that's not a direct answer. But taking that into context, taking that into account and remembering that it is so different athlete by athlete, I will say that I think the high school athlete that goes through a career ending injury versus the professional athlete that goes through a career ending injury is there's kind of, and I hate to say the word pros and cons, but there's, I think, strengths and weaknesses and areas of struggles for both. So some of the differentiating factors might be the high school athlete who hasn't had quite as much time to develop what we call athletic identity foreclosure, which is where an athlete's identity becomes foreclosed upon. There's not really room for other elements outside of their identity as an athlete to work their way in. So typically that happens around junior, senior year for a lot of athletes where that identity becomes foreclosed. So if you have a junior or senior who goes through, you know, and a career ending injury, they might not quite be at that point. So while it is devastating, there might still be some level of exploration that they're open to. And they might have some time kind of in, in a school system where they're still surrounded by peers every day that might take away a little bit of the isolation. So I do think that can be what we would call a protective factor to, you know, anxiety, depression, trauma, all of that, eating disorder development, post-injury. So I think they go through their own experiences with that. Now, I think it can be harder in some ways because if the dream, if you never even get to experience the dream, that can be absolutely devastating. So, you know, we look at those different factors and then we consider the professional athlete. And even that is kind of case by case, because if you have someone in their first year, you know, in the majors, you know, that's going to be different from, you know, like an Aaron Rodgers. You know, we don't know at this time if his injury is career ending, but we would imagine while devastating, he also has access to other things that can help him kind of navigate the transition. So in a situation like that, in some ways it's harder because 
the athletic identity is foreclosed upon pretty much by that point. I mean, you are known quite literally all over the world as a quarterback. So that comes with its own challenges. One of the protective factors, though, for older athletes is families of their own. So if they're married, if they have kids, if they just are close with their family of origin even. So that can be a protective factor for older athletes. So it just is a trade-off because in some cases you have older athletes who maybe you're starting to think about some other things they're interested in, and that can be really cool, but you also have longer a longer experience with that being their identity. And then high school athletes have a shorter experience with that being their identity, but it's the loss of the dream. So I don't think the one's easier or harder. I do think there's some differences though. I really appreciate that you said that you didn't give us a black and white answer that you were like, unfortunately, everybody's different. So I can't tell you specifically because I think for myself and yes, I am older. Um, I was, you know, had a career ending injury my sophomore year of college it, we weren't treated as individuals because there wasn't an awareness of how much an injury could affect an athlete, I think at that point or, you know, that long ago. And so I'm so excited to see like sports counseling, sports psychology, sports psychiatry really starting to take more of a forefront with our athletes because it's so important for them to understand that there is an identity outside of sport because when you've been playing it your whole life, you don't even recognize the other things that you may like to do. So it kind of goes back to, you know, our goofy intro saying, you know, paint a picture or uh, go to a new coffee shop. But what are some of those things with the individual, like you said, always going to be different. What are some of those recommendations that you make as an injured athlete, whether it's season ending, which is still hard or career ending? What are some of those things as you talk about walking them through grief that you give them some ideas on what they can focus on themselves while they work through the injury? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we think about it in terms of grief, retirement, whether that's chosen or forced or kind of that third category of it's maybe cringing, maybe not. It's actually up to the athlete to decide. We are always talking about grief, we, no matter what, right? Anytime that there's loss, there's grief. And when an athlete retires for any reason, there is an immense amount of loss, which means there's going to be an immense amount of grief. And I would say that is just absolutely the undercurrent of most athletic careers is the grief, right? I think even parents who are trying to live vicariously through their kids, it's some form of grief, right? So it's interesting as we look at stripping away the athletic piece of it first, when we just look at grief counseling, the end goal of grief work is what we call the meaning-making process. So it is coming to a place of acceptance and saying, okay, how does what I just went through impact how I move forward in the world? And, you know, we look at that with, you know, people who lose loved ones and the way that they make meaning out of it is to start a foundation, you know, these really beautiful acts of making meaning out of things. So, you know, zooming back into the athlete, we have to ask that question. We have to answer that question how does what you just experienced as an athlete potentially for 20 years impact the way that you move forward in the world? So where the rubber hits the road and where it's just so tough is when you look at an athlete face to face and you ask them in retirement, hey, what are you passionate about? They typically have no idea. It's like deer in the headlights. And I remember feeling this as an athlete. 
Becca, I don't know if you remember feeling this as well. I mean, Dan, you too. I did, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the scariest question that someone can ask you is basically what's next or what are you passionate about? And the reason athletes struggle to answer what they're passionate about is because they struggle with the very fundamental question of what do you even enjoy? Like not even what are you passionate about? What do you simply enjoy outside of your sport? And athletes don't have a lot of time to figure that out. So literally, you know, we go back to the kind of intro and the hook of all of this, quite literally conversations I have with athletes. I even had one yesterday is let's do something new this week that you've never done as simple as going to a new coffee shop, as simple as going for a hike, as simple as maybe you do paint and maybe you try it. It comes down to these very elementary stepping stones of figuring out what do you even like? What do you even think you could enjoy? What is, what's something that you've always been curious about? We talk with athletes a lot about pay attention to the things that you've always been curious about but never had the capacity to engage in. And let's just start there and start to put together a picture of what are things that you even enjoy. And then from there, maybe we can figure out what gives you purpose, what are you passionate about? So that kind of leads me back to, maybe you won't be able to answer this question, but knowing that social support, helping with creating their identity, their sense of community, when you're asking these questions like you were sharing about, you know, a discussion you had and the athlete gave you the deer in the headlights look of, I have no idea, knowing that we have listeners and providers that work with younger athletes and things like that, as well as we're probably going to get the general population that's listening. Hopefully some parents with children will listen to this. How do you advise them on, on developing a life outside of sport? And how do we make that connection knowing, you know, going, going back to Becca's point that everybody's so busy, they can get access right away. They don't have to be patient. Like, do you have any tips or strategies for people who have, you know, kids that are in that eight, 10, 12 year old that are constantly on the go that can help. I, I almost want to say ground the athlete. Yeah. I think that's a good term for it that, you know, they can go back and they can pull back, you know, that's great. They make it to become a professional athlete and they retire at some point, you know, one of the three ways, like any of those have, you know, pros and cons, like you mentioned, but they can then, you know, with the help of a skilled expert, they can go back and be like, wait, when I was in seventh grade, I used to do this all the time while I was playing these four sports. And man, I really miss that. Do you have any tips for us on that? Absolutely. So some of my younger athletes, you know, it's kind of, you know, that phrase that's like the best time to plant a tree was today or 20 years ago or whatever, it, whatever it is. <laughs> it's kind of similar with the best time for an athlete to explore things outside of their sport was, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, 10 years ago. But the second best time is today. So I would say, especially for younger kids and really for all ages, but especially for parents with younger kids, it's okay to experiment with things outside of their sport. It doesn't have to be their primary focus, but even exposing 
them to music or to cooking or a, a painting class or I mean literally anything even watching sports even watching other sports can be a very protective factor you know I have athletes that play one sport but are really passionate fans of another sport and that actually does help them make that transition so it doesn't have to be these huge commitments but I would say experimentation is so important because you never know you know, Dan, like you were saying, you never know a kid who experiences something around seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old when they're 18, 19, 20, they might be like, Hey man, I remember when I was a kid, I really enjoyed X, Y, or Z. I wonder if I still enjoy that. And that gives them a starting point for this very tough transition that they're about to go to. So I also would say as kind of an aside for all of this conversation, it's really interesting. I think this is really important, especially for parents to know or people in leadership over athletes and physical therapists. You know, this community is certainly in a leadership position over their athletes. But an elite athlete, it's really interesting. If you take a, you know, let's say a 20 year old elite athlete, maybe they've just had a career ending injury in college, their peers are going to have had very different experiences from them. In some ways, the athlete is going to be worlds ahead in in some areas. They are going to have had experiences that their peers could never dream of, right? They're going to have to have negotiated conversations with adults in a different way than their peers. Just the level of competition they've experienced, the responsibility that they've experienced and been entrusted with is going to be really different. And it's gonna be really cool in the way that that can develop that athlete. However, when it comes to retirement, it kind of flips because that same 20-year-old athlete in some ways is going to be very, very behind their peers. They are have, you know, they will have missed out on a lot of experiences that their peers have experienced, especially socially, especially when it comes to experimenting with things that they like to do, experimenting with, you know, things that they could be interested in. So, it's almost this flip where I work with athletes in their 20s all the time who are exploring very elementary concepts and relationships in social situations and, you know, trying to figure out what they like. So going back to the original question, you know, for parents, for people in leadership over athletes, encouraging that as early and often as possible is so important so that that athlete's not 22 and thinking, I have no idea how to have a relationship. I don't know how to engage in social situations because I never had time and I also just kind of had built-in friends and I also have never experimented with anything that is interesting to me outside of my sport. So you talked a lot about encouraging our athletes to try new experiences, which obviously we definitely want them to do that, but I think we all know athletes... Uh, have a certain competitive edge to them, which could also lead to not just trying new experiences, but just trying to fill the time or the void of time that they have from sports. So how do we kind of get them to balance that? Yeah. So there's a huge difference. I talk with athletes all the time about this. There's a huge difference between filling time and replacing purpose. It is unlikely that an athlete, especially during injury or closely after retirement, is going to immediately find something that replaces the sense of purpose and and belonging that they felt as an athlete. So typically what I see is athletes who just simply try to fill that time, but it's with things that they're not connected to. It's with things that really don't serve them or serve others in any way. And I think the athletes feel really disconnected and really empty through just simply trying to fill time. So 
I think for the people in an athlete's life, paying close attention to how that athlete is trying to fill the time, you know, for physical therapists, for the med team, I think asking that question, Hey, how are you replacing this time? And just kind of keeping a pulse on, on that, you know, getting an idea of just how they're using that time. I think for parents, that's huge. Keeping a pulse on how are they filling this time? You know, if they're filling it with something that is not life giving to the athlete, I think that's going to just further exacerbate just some of the feelings of isolation and, and disconnection that they might feel. So it is encouraging the athlete to try new things, but also to try purposeful things really try things they've been curious about. It might be serving, you know, at like a food bank or something, just trying it out. They may fall in love with volunteer work. They may try it once and be like, yeah, that's definitely not for me. And that's okay. I tell athletes that all the time. Like it's okay. If you try something and you don't like it, you never have to do it again, but you also might fall in love with something that you have never tried before. That's not on your radar. So I think helping them find something that they feel purposeful with. I think a lot of athletes, you know, just a real practical way that you can do this. I think a lot of athletes enjoy teaching younger kids, you know, enjoy kind of working, doing privates or working with younger kids who are starting out in their same sport. I think that can be a way for athletes to just restore a sense of purpose. It's probably not going to feel to the same degree as their actual sport, but just to start to restore a sense of purpose. That's great. I think looking back on athletes that I've worked with, I I felt like they filled the time more, which hearing you speak about that, that's an important step for them to take because if they don't attempt anything to fill the time, then we're worried about uh, other, other things, which would still fall in the realm of counseling and, and psych and social and all of those components. But helping them give the freedom and the flexibility to, to explore until they find the thing that really gets that passion fueled, that helps them feel the sense of purpose, that gives their parents or significant other or spouse the ability to be like, wait, like I see the same fire in their eyes that I saw when they were on the field competing or in preparation to compete, knowing that every athlete is at some point going to quote unquote retire, which is an interesting concept for people to really conceptualize, even parents to conceptualize that at some point their child athlete will quote unquote retire at a certain point. So I I appreciate that perspective. And I just appreciate that you're encouraging them to find out what they don't like as well. I think, right. The big thing with, Uh, younger generation now is failure is hard. And so it's not that that's a failure, right? It's just as important, like you've said, to know what you don't like as it is to know what you do like. So trying a bunch of different things leads you onto that path, being curious. So I, that's another great takeaway is just, even if you try something and you don't like it, you've actually still learned a lot about yourself in that process. Yeah, absolutely. This whole conversation makes one anecdote come to mind. So I had an athlete several years ago who was, they weren't even injured. They were just, this was just, they were playing, everything was good. But parents came to me and said, they're spending a lot of time just in their room, like, you know, just kind of normal. I think parents are always concerned about that with teens. Like, are they isolating? Are they, (laughs) what are they doing? Like, are they depressed? What's going on? 
So we got into conversations about it and it turns out this athlete had been spending hours listening to music. And when we got into the conversation about it, I learned that he was doing his own just for himself. He hadn't even published it yet, but doing his own music reviews. He had this very elaborate spreadsheet of every album he'd ever listened to. And he had just created this. He had come up with all of these different categories and how he ranked them. And it was wildly impressive. And I don't even think parents knew about this. They just saw him in his room all the time, but they didn't realize, oh, this is something in addition to his sport that he's really passionate about. So then it became a conversation of, okay, how do we, yeah, maybe set some boundaries around you being in your room all the time, isolated, but also how do we cultivate this? How do we press into this as much as we're pressing into your sport, but how do we leave room for this? How do we cultivate this thing that, you know, like you guys said, it lights them up like their sport did. So that's the other thing I just would encourage, you know, treatment team and parents be curious about how your athlete is filling their time because they may be doing something that is not on your radar, but that is on their radar for something that feels really purposeful. Awesome. Well, Maddie, thank you very much for joining us. Becca, thanks for co-hosting with me. Thank you, Maddie. Thanks, guys. And if, as always, not if, but as always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app.